From the K-Rob Collection, this is Audio Antiques, featuring programs from the golden age of American radio. I'm Ken Robinson. Marian Anderson was one of the most popular and talented operatic singers in the 20th century. The African-American contralto overcame childhood poverty to sing with major orchestras throughout the United States and Europe between 1925 and 1965. In 1923, Anderson was the first black artist to record for RCA Victor with this spiritual, My Way's Cloudy. Anderson became the first African-American singer to perform at the Metropolitan Opera. In addition, she worked as a delegate to the United Nations Human Rights Committee and as a goodwill ambassador for the U.S. State Department. She participated in the Civil Rights Movement of the 1960s and was awarded the first Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1963. Anderson also received the Congressional Gold Medal in 1977 the Kennedy Center Honors in 1978, the National Medal of Arts in 1986, and a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1991. You will hear Marian Anderson perform on the Magic Key of RCA radio show on NBC in 1936. Her legendary 1939 performance before an integrated audience of 75,000 at the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. that racists tried to block. Then finally, a 1959 interview with Gene Hamm on WWVA Radio. Tired of outrageously expensive cell phone bills? Come on over to Mint Mobile. Talk, text, and data plans start at just $15 a month. There are no contracts. Sign up, and Mint will send you a SIM card. Just insert it into your phone. You can even keep your old number. Get details at krobcollection.com and start saving today with Mint Mobile. Radio Corporation of America presents The Magic Key.
radio service of the Radio Corporation of America, the magic key of RCA turns to Chicago, the Swiss Alps, Washington, D.C., and New York City to bring you Morton Downey, silver-voiced minstrel of the airwaves, Marian Anderson, sensational colored contralto, Jack Hilton and his internationally famous dance orchestra, a special broadcast from the snow-locked hospice of St. Bernard, high in the mountains of Switzerland, the Varsity 8 from the new Ziegfeld Follies, which just opened in New York, Willis R. Gregg, chief of the U.S. Weather Bureau in Washington, John B. Kennedy, noted NBC News commentator in an amusing interlude with Raymond L. Dittmars, curator of the Bronx Zoo, and Frank Black and his NBC Symphony Orchestra opening the program with the stirring music of Schubert's Marche Militaire. Nights ago, in New York City, a famous New York institution reopened its doors. 
There was no gathering of learned professors and bearded savants to grace the occasion, but there was one of the most brilliant and glamorous first night audiences ever seen in Manhattan. For the institution was none other than the 1936 edition of the Ziegfeld Follies, presented by the widow of the late theatrical producer, the former Billy Burke. Throughout the course of the Follies, many of the most tuneful moments are enhanced by the robust singing of the Varsity Eight. This afternoon, they bring us a medley of the three songs best liked by the fashionable opening night house last Thursday. Words Without Music, My Moment of Moments, and An Island in the West Indies, all from the 1936 edition of the Ziegfeld Follies. Imagine 
a belated traveler struggling through deep snowdrifts in a choked mountain pass. Minute by minute, his struggles grow fainter, wearier. His footsteps lag, and at last he falls among the drifts, overcome by cold. It has been in the rescue of such hapless cases as this that the St. Bernard dogs, those huge, shaggy, kindly animals, for centuries the faithful helpers of the good monks of St. Bernard have achieved their fame. Now let us journey direct to the famous hospice at which this season of the year we find it completely snowbound, almost completely cut off from the world. The magic key of RCA turns across the Atlantic to the monastery of St. Bernard, standing at the summit of the great St. Bernard Pass in the Swiss Alps, 15 miles east of Mount Blanc. Hello America, hello America, Switzerland calling. Fred Beery speaking. This is a broadcast arranged on behalf of the National Broadcasting Company for the RCA Magic Key Hour. We are on the Great St. Bernhard, 8,100 feet above sea level in the snowbound monastery. My party of seven she runners arrives here after a stiff five hours climb under most unfavorable weather conditions. Snowfall, sleet, icy winds, and blankets of fog marred our progress badly. Fortunately, the avalanches had decided to behave so that there was no trouble from that direction. To our joy, the sea-running monks suddenly appeared out of the fog near the first refuge, where we were immediately regaled with delicious warm tea, bread, and cheese. Meanwhile, darkness had set in, so the monks led us for the rest of the way. This morning, I sheed over to the monument of St. Bernhard, accompanied by a number of dogs. On my return, I learned that I had passed over a frozen lake, over the Swiss Customs House, and over the garage in which Richard Halliburton's famous dally had been quartered. The lake and the two buildings will come into sight again next May or June. Forty-seven feet of snowfall have been registered so far. These 47 feet have now settled down to an average depth of 22 feet, which is 11 feet under the average. Ah, the prior has just come. Bonjour, Monsieur Le Prior. I'm sure that my listeners are anxious to know whether it is not terribly lonely up here during your nine months of winter. Monsieur Le Prior answered, Oh no, we are here in the service of the Almighty, and loneliness is of no importance in such a cause. Monsieur Le Prior, do you not find that radio is very useful to you? Certainement. La radio nous met en relation avec le monde aussi. Je profite de cette occasion pour envoyer mon bonjour à tous les auditeurs. Monsieur Le Prior replied, Yes, radio is to us a link with the world. He then added, May I take advantage of this opportunity to greet all listeners? Thank you, Monsieur Le Prior. Now I'm going downstairs to meet the dogs. There are ten magnificent specimens of St. Bernard's waiting to say how do you do to you. Here they come. Now they're very quiet this evening. You will now hear the bells of the great St. Bernhard, followed by a Gregorian chant.
with this unusual program, which was arranged by the NBC from high up in the Alps. We return you across the ocean to New York. One instant in Switzerland, the next 4,000 miles away. Such is the magic, the true modern magic, compound of engineering skill, technical experience, worldwide radio facilities, represented by the magic key of RCA. In RCA Victor radios, the sets with magic brain, magic eye, and RCA metal tubes, you will find this same magic, and at no increase in cost to you. RCA Victor manufactures radios and radio phonographs for every purse. Prices start at $19.95 at the factory, and easy payments can be arranged. Go to your RCA Victor dealer. Admire the beauty of RCA Victor cabinet. Admire the even greater beauty of tone reproduction made possible by RCA engineering experience in all phases of radio. Then let your dealer help you choose for your own home the RCA Victor radio or phonograph combination best fitted to your needs. Remember, the RCA Victor Magic Brain Set is a product of the universal radio service of the Radio Corporation of America. That's your guarantee of quality. Pietro Mascagni ranks as one of the outstanding living composers of opera. Our program continues as Frank Black conducts the NBC Symphony Orchestra in the popular intermezzo from Mascagni's opera, L'Amico Fritz.
In the New York Times of February 17, 1935, appeared the following news item from abroad. A sensation of the Vienna musical season has been the debut here of the colored contralto from Philadelphia, Marian Anderson. There can be no question that Miss Anderson, alike by virtue of her gorgeous voice, her art of song, the emotional, indeed the spiritual and mystical elements of her nature, ranks today among the few imposing vocal confrontations of the age. Trailing such clouds of glory, Marian Anderson recently returned from several seasons of concert giving abroad. But her foreign triumphs were as nothing compared to her success at home. Following her first Carnegie Hall concert a few weeks ago, Metropolitan music critics vied with each other in printing reviews overflowing with enthusiastic adjectives. They left no room for doubting that American music has acquired a new concert star of heroic importance. In her first radio appearance since returning to the United States, the magic key of RCA turns to Marian Anderson singing the aria O Mio Fernando from Donizetti's opera La Favorita.
Magic Key, unlocking a world of entertainment. Presented for your interest and pleasure by RCA Communications, Radio Marine, RCA Radiotron, RCA Victor, the RCA Institutes and the National Broadcasting Company, members of the family of RCA. Picture, if you can, a dance orchestra giving a performance within the sacrosanct walls of the Paris Opera House and being greeted with wild acclaim. Picture that same band playing command performances before kings and queens, presidents and dictators all over Europe. Then you will have some idea of the tremendous prestige Jack Hilton and his famous Victor Recording Band have brought with them from England to America. Millions of popular music enthusiasts are familiar with the Victor Recordings which first brought him fame in this country. But now, through the courtesy of his regular sponsor, the magic key of RCA brings you Jack Hilton and his orchestra in person, playing from the NBC studios in Chicago. About a night in June Beneath that poor old moon But Believe it or not, I get hot Then there's the brass that goes with the brass goes with the hands on the baby grand go with the suit of the cute little flute that helps the pace of the tall string bass that wouldn't go far without the guitar blend with the moan of the saxophone helps the drums to make things hum
Jack Hilton's arrangement of Sweet Sue. Magic key of RCA turns, speeding you back to New York. Mark Twain must have been forgetting the groundhog when he made his famous remark. Everybody's always talking about the weather, but nobody ever does anything about it. For the groundhog, at least so rumor has it, does something about the weather every year on this, his day. And in a few moments, we hope to present the first appearance of Mr. Groundhog this season. 
But first, let's see what the scientific forecasters of the United States Weather Bureau in Washington have to say about the weather. The magic key of RCA turns to Willis R. Gregg, chief of the Bureau, speaking from Washington, D.C. According to tradition, the groundhog comes out of his burrow today and looks for his shadow. It is interesting to learn from scientists of the Biological Survey that it is a rare occasion indeed when the groundhog does make his appearance as early as February 2nd. Another interesting fact is that the tradition is concerned with other animals in different countries. For example, in Germany, it is the badger. In France, the bear. And in still other countries, the hedgehog. Similar undependable legends are associated with many other days of the year. Basing a forecast on whether or not the sun shines on Groundhog Day will in the long run be right half the time and wrong half the time. Exactly the same as would a similar forecast based on the appearance of the groundhog on any other day of the year. The United States Weather Bureau here in Washington is one of the district forecast centers of the country. Others are located at Chicago, New Orleans, Denver, Jacksonville, and San Francisco. Into these six forecasting centers a few minutes after 8 o'clock each morning and evening come telegraphic reports from 300 regular observing stations in the United States, Canada, the West Indies, and even from ships at sea. Through this exchange of observations and the forecast made from them, you get the weather reports in your newspapers and over the radio. Many times, we in the Weather Bureau are asked why our forecast cannot be made perfect. It is true that failures do sometimes occur, and no one regrets this more than do those engaged in the forecast work. Forecasting is not an exact science, but studies now in progress, both by the Weather Bureau and by other meteorological services and individuals throughout the world, make us confident that gradual improvement will come. Such improvement is already occurring, in fact, as the result of an extension of our upper air observation program with airplanes. <clears throat> but, notwithstanding occasional failures, the daily forecasts hit a pretty high percentage of accuracy. And today, weather forecasts and warnings affect the daily lives of most people in the country and have become an important factor in the guidance of many business enterprises. And now, for the groundhog himself. John B. Kennedy, NBC News commentator, has journeyed out to the Bronx Zoo for the special purpose of interviewing that enigmatic animal, which makes front-page news every year at this time. The magic key of RCA turns to Mr. Kennedy, who is in conversation with Dr. Raymond L. Dittmars, world-famed curator of the New York Zoological Gardens at the Bronx Zoo. Just coming up now. Good afternoon, all. Here we are under a wintry sun in the Bronx Zoo where everything seems Arctic but Eskimos. Dr. Dipmars, where's this groundhog we've come to interview? Right here. And he's went a home, Mr. Kennedy. He'll come out in a minute. How on earth can he breathe in that deep burrow? Well, that's just how he does breathe on earth. The ground contains enough oxygen for his requirements through the winter. Is the groundhog really reliable as a weather forecaster, Doctor, or is it largely the bunk? Well, that isn't a very scientific way of putting it, but I'd say this. That if you rely on animals to predict your weather, they'll usually let you down. Uh, beavers demonstrated that to me once. I would have sworn that when beavers took a, a, a short supply of bark, that is, their food, into their midwinter houses, that the winter would be mild and brief. One year I noticed this particularly, and I bet the winter would be brief. Well, was it? It was not. Do you remember the winter of 1917-18? But I do. The longest and the bitterest. Those beavers knew you were betting, Doctor, and framed you. How about Mr. Groundhog here? Is that he moving? Yes, just wait a minute. He's warming up from his sleep. Is he more reliable than a beaver as a prophet? Uh, no, he's a bit of a mug. He can be fooled. But in the old days, he made a name and has lived on it ever since. 
You see, it was thought that if the groundhog came out of his hole on Candlemar Day, February 2nd, and saw his shadow, that's the sign of a delayed and very cold spring. On the other hand, if he doesn't see his shadow, he stays out, a sign of mild weather. And here, if I'm any judge, is Mr. Groundhog in person. Uh, yes, here he comes. But remember, he's a captive groundhog. Uh, see his gray snout? And now he's coming into daylight from the burrow. Why, he looks stiff and uneasy. Uh, so would you be if you'd been rolled up like a ball all winter. Come on up, Mr. Hermit. The fresh air's fine. Uh, there he is, looking for the sun. Watch his eyes brighten a bit. Look, Doctor, he's turning to duck back. Grabbing quick. I want to talk to him. Well, here he is. How do you do, Mr. Groundhog? And how is Mrs. Groundhog? Don't ask him that. That's embarrassing. He, he doesn't know. They maintain separate establishments. Oh, companion marriage stuff. I'm surprised. Oh, you know, groundhogs never live in pairs. That's most unsociable. Uh, no. See, uh, even this fellow's in a hurry to get away. Why, he wants to return engagement with his wintry bed. <laughs> that means a late and cold spring? It may and it may not. Well, let's ask him. Uh, Mr. Groundhog, you won't talk, eh? Uh, try him by a scientific name, Mahmoud Monax. All right, Mr. Monax. Is it going to be a long winter and a cold spring? <laughs> what did he say, Doctor? Uh, well, he said, uh, I think uh, it will be. What do you think? Mr. Groundhog, alias Monax? How do you like doing this act each year? What did he say that time, Doctor? Oh, he says it's purely routine. What's he trying to do now? Prune or ask for food? Oh, no. He won't food and feed until spring. Well, that's a long time between meals. Listen. I think your groundhog, Dr. Dittmars, is the most unsociable, as unsociable as a roadhog. Now, what's that he said? No, he says, so, there's so your old man. There he goes back for another month or so. How do we get out of here, Doctor? Uh, well, there's the groundhog taking the last peek at the weather. He seems to indicate that you'll find the short way through the snake house. Yes, but you told me most of those snakes in there were deadly. They are, but they wouldn't hurt one of my friends. Well, I still prefer your company. You know I'm your friend, but the snakes don't. Well, so long, Mr. Kennedy. Let's leave the groundhog to his hibernation and take our weather forecast from the Weather Bureau. Newspapers, magazines, chewing gum, candy. Next time you're on a train and you hear that chant, look at the news butcher closely and reflect that maybe he'll be signing a $6,000 a week contract before so many years have passed. At least that's what happened to Morton Downey, who got his first vocal training on a New York New Haven train and is now one of the most popular of all popular singers. The luck of the Irish, you say? No, just a combination of stick to and a natural silvery tenor voice of unusual quality. Morton Downey's Irish luck, if you'd ask himself, came to the fore when he married, after a three weeks whirlwind courtship, Barbara Bennett of the Bennett family of theatrical and cinema fame. The Downeys are one of the entertainment world's most devoted couples, most devoted parents, too, with four charming children, three of them are boys. For his first selection this afternoon, Morton Downey chooses a current popular song, One Night in Monte Carlo. Morton Downey. <laughs> Every little romance has a story Every love affair is like a play I just heard a sweet romantic story It happened this way They met one night in Monte Carlo Two unhappy lovers in despair 
They met one night in Monte Carlo Trying to forget a love affair He came across the blue Atlantic She was from a little town in France They didn't mean to be romantic Still they found the thrill in every glance It was so heavenly to walk about Beneath the brilliant stars above Was only natural to talk about Romance and love They sailed away from Monte Carlo Settled down within a cottage small And so one night in Monte Carlo Brought the happy ending to it all The well-known orchestra leader Ted Fiorito is the composer of the next song by Morton Downey. Alone at a Table for Two is the title. Alone at a table for two The music is playing Your favorite request But I hear a blue note The band must have guessed Why I'm alone At a table
And if you are all alone For I'm alone At a table for two Our own rendezvous. The music is playing. Your favorite request. But I hear a blue note. The band must have guessed why I'm alone. At a table for two Pretending I am waiting for you And even the flowers At your plate are withered They know that we're through I'm alone From the silvery tenor of Morton Downey, the magic key of RCA turns to the Spanish rhythms of the composer Tavan, as Frank Black conducts the NBC Symphony Orchestra in Sierra Morena from the Fete de Seville. Thank you. 
discussing the coordinated functions of members of the family of RCA, some of our listeners have been moved to ask, what is the RCA Institutes? It is a question we are glad to consider, for the answer serves to interpret the meaning of universal radio service. The RCA Institutes is the oldest school in America devoted to the training of radio technicians. It numbers among its graduates many prominent executives and engineers in the commercial radio field. Foreign governments have recognized the institutes through sending military and laboratory technicians for special courses of study. And young men preparing for radio careers come to the RCA institutes from every country in the world as well as every state in the Union. There is an RCA institutes resident school in New York and another in Chicago. An illustrated catalog describing both the evening and day sessions will be sent upon request to RCA institutes, 75 Varick Street, New York, or the Merchandise Mart, Chicago. Specially trained radio technicians from the RCA Institutes represent the final means by which the family of RCA achieve a complete cycle of usefulness. Beside manufacturing and installing broadcasting transmitters, making the transmitting tubes, broadcasting programs, and manufacturing the radio sets with which to receive the programs, these men are trained to ensure the successful operation of equipment both at the radio stations and in the home. This is only one phase of the universal radio service of the Radio Corporation of America, another reason why the initials RCA on all radio apparatus are your assurance of quality. cordially invite you to be with us next Sunday when the magic key will turn again and members of the family of RCA will present Joan Bennett and Fred McMurray in a scene from their newest picture, the famous and popular dance orchestras of Guy Lombardo, Ray Noble, and Richard Hember, the Yale Glee Club, John B. Kennedy, and Frank Black conducting the NBC Symphony. <laughs> Ben Grauer and Milton Cross speaking for one member of the family of RCA, the National Broadcasting Company. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We're speaking to you from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in the nation's capital, from which point the National Broadcasting Company brings you a song recital by the gifted Marian Anderson, considered by music critics throughout the world as possessing a most outstanding contralto voice. This concert is presented under the auspices of Howard University, of Washington, D.C. Miss Anderson will sing from a stage built on the steps of this impressive memorial to America's Civil War president, looking out over the beautiful reflecting pool to the Washington Monument. Marian Anderson is singing this public concert at the Lincoln Memorial because she was unable to get an auditorium to accommodate the tremendous audience that wished to hear her. Thousands are gathered near the memorial to hear this Easter Day recital, which is perhaps the first open-air concert ever held in Washington. 
Miss Anderson will be introduced by Secretary of the Interior, Harold L. Ickes, after which she will sing a group of three songs. America, the aria O Mio Fernando from Donizetti's opera, La Favorita, and Schubert's Ave Maria. We hear now the Honorable Harold L. Ickes, Secretary of the Interior. Miss Anderson, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, in this great auditorium under the sky, all of us are free. When God gave us this wonderful outdoors and the sun, the moon, and the stars, he made no distinction of race or creed or color. And 130 years ago, he sent to us one of his truly great in order that he might restore freedom to those from whom we had disregardfully taken it. In carrying out this great task, Abraham Lincoln laid down his life. And so it is as appropriate as it is fortunate that today we stand reverently and humbly at the base of this memorial to the great emancipator where a glorious tribute is rendered to his memory by a daughter of the race from which he struck the chains of slavery. Facing us down the mall beyond the Washington Monument, which we have erected as a symbol of the towering stature and fame of him who founded this republic, there is rising a memorial to that other great Democrat in our short history, Thomas Jefferson, who proclaimed that principle of equality of opportunity which Abraham Lincoln believed in so implicitly and took so seriously. In our own time, too many pay mere lip service to these twin planets in our democratic heaven. There are those, even in this great capital of our democratic republic, who are either too timid or too indifferent to lift up the light that Jefferson and Lincoln carried along. Genius, like justice, is blind. For genius, with the tip of her wing, has touched this woman, who, if it had not been for the great mind of Jefferson, if it had not been for the great heart of Lincoln, would not be able to stand among us today a free individual in a free land. Genius, Genius draws no color line. She has endowed Marian Anderson with such a voice as lifts any individual above his fellows, as is a matter of exultant pride to any race. And so it is fitting that Marian Anderson should raise her voice in tribute to the noble Lincoln whom mankind will ever honor. We are grateful to Mary, Miss Marian Anderson for coming here
to sing to us today.
And so we come to the intermission of this concert recital by Marian Anderson. She has sung as the first three selections, America, then the aria O Mio Fernando from La Favorita by Donizetti, and then Schubert's Ave Maria. Again, Miss Anderson goes to the concert stage to acknowledge the applause of this tremendous audience. During this intermission, it may be possible for us to bring you a word picture of this magnificent setting. The concert is being held here on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Just at the first setback of steps is built a small concert stage, just large enough to accommodate a large concert grand piano and our distinguished soloist, Miss Marian Anderson. Flanking the stage and in front are several rows of seats occupied by the sponsors of the concert and other distinguished guests. Among the sponsors and among the distinguished guests, we see the Secretary of the Interior, the Honorable Harold Ickes, who introduced Miss Anderson, and we see Secretary of the Treasury Morgenthau, Mr. Senator Robert Wagner, Senator Joseph Guffey, Senator Arthur Capert sitting on the far side of the concert stage with Senator Clark of Missouri and Senator Capper there with him. In just a few moments, we hope to have an official estimate of this crowd for you but a picture of this memorial. The memorial rises against a brilliant blue sky that is now just softening slightly by the approaching dusk. Seems a very light mist is coming up from the historic Potomac to the rear and around to our right here. The scene from the steps here where we are standing is perhaps the most breathtaking in all of the nation's capital. The steps go down from the memorial to the reflection pool and we can see mirrored in its surface the entire height of the Washington Monument that stands at the other end of the pool about one half mile from us. And far in the distance, we see a portion of the majestic dome of the Capitol building. We see only a portion of it because it's on a perfect line with the Washington Monument, and the monument blots out all but that part of the dome. The wings of the Capitol building housing the Senate and the House of Representatives are quite distinguishable from our very high point of vantage here. The Capitol is separated from the memorial by the half mile to the Washington Monument and then by the long sweep of the mall, the central parkway that runs from the base of the Washington Monument to the Capitol building. And then to our left looms large the famed Federal Triangle, that section bound by Constitution Avenue on the mall and famed Pennsylvania Avenue that contains many of the government buildings. Just to the right is the Tidal Basin around which just last week the cherry blossoms were in full bloom. But now a word concerning Miss Marian Anderson. Marian Anderson's rise to worldwide fame is quite typically an American success story. Born of humble parents in Philadelphia's Negro Quarter, she lived as a child in a single rented room with her two sisters and her parents. Signs of an unusual voice were evident at the very early age of six when she sang in the choir of the Union Baptist Church. At the age of eight, she was called the baby contralto and won her first fee, 50 cents, at that time. Up until the age of 16, her musical education was more or less catch as catch can, but later persons in the South Philadelphia High School, which she was attending, were impressed with the unusual range of her voice. People in the neighborhood put together nickels and dimes to contribute toward music lessons. The fund was raised so that she might take lessons from the well-known voice teacher, Giuseppe Boghetti. Under his tutelage, Miss Anderson entered a contest held by the New York Philharmonic Society, the winner of which would have the opportunity of singing at the Lewisohn Stadium in New York. Needless to say, Miss Anderson won. 
After her New York victory, she received a Julius Rosenwald scholarship, which obtained for her necessary training abroad. In 1933, she made a short tour with moderate success through England, France, Belgium, Holland, the Soviet Union, and the Scandinavian countries. It was not until 1935, however, when worldwide recognition came to her. She was invited to sing at the Salzburg Festival, a most dazzling opportunity. Arturo Toscanini was present, and after she sang, he rushed up to her and said, A voice like yours is heard only once in a hundred years. Her tour is in America, and she is now in her fourth, a bit among the most successful in concert history. She has been awarded the Springer in Metal, she has received a Doctor of Letters from Howard University, and she has sung at the White House for President and Mrs. Roosevelt. She has triumphed in tours in South America and throughout Europe. We have an official announcement of the attendance. The United States Park Police officially estimate the attendance at over 75,000. And now Ms. Marian Anderson has gone back to the concert platform for the second half of her program, which will consist of three spirituals, Gospel Train, Trampin', and My Soul is Anchored in the Lord. Thank you. 
heaven, but I've been told trying to make heaven my home. That the streets of death are paved with gold. Trying to make heaven my home. I'm trending, trending, trying to make heaven my home. I'm trending, trending, trying to make heaven my home. I'm trying. NBC has brought you a song recital by Marian Anderson, presented under the auspices of Howard University from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in the nation's capital. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Well, good morning, everyone. It's time for Report to the Women with Gene Ham. This is the show designed with you in mind, and we've a lot of interesting things to talk about this morning. I might say particularly this morning. So we hope that you'll stay right there with us. Good wintry morning to you. Mm, same to you. Well, How this, are you today? Oh, excellent. Wonderful. Excellent. Tip-top shape. You're like an old stove. I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, do you want to say anything before... Uh, the festivities begin oh, this morning? Oh, sure, I'd love to, because mm. yesterday was such a memorable day for Certainly me. Was. I just was on a great big bubble the whole day long. Well, I think you carried over to this morning, too, <laughs> from what I heard. <laughs> well, of course, for anyone uh, who doesn't know what I'm talking about, mm. it was the fact that uh, I was really privileged mm. to have an interview with Marian Anderson, who mm. will sing tonight and mm. tomorrow night at the Virginia very gracious lady. Oh, she is wonderful. And uh, Dick Reeves and Tyke McNash and I went down, just regular entourage, you know, to go to the uh, hotel to speak with Miss Anderson. And when we got upstairs with her was uh, her accompanist, Mm -hmm. Franz Rupp, and uh, Mr. Uh, Joff, Mm -hmm. who takes care of all her tours. And uh, to me, it was just like meeting old friends, Mm -hmm. because as you know, I read her book, My Lord, What a Morning, and I also read a book written by her former accompanist. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, it just seemed perfectly natural for me to sit down and talk with them. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, her accompanist, Mr. Rook, is a fine concert pianist in his own right. He's jolly and... uh, 
one wonderful thing. You know, you always talk about the mark of greatness mm -hmm. in people. Mm -hmm. uh, he is so generous to musicians and uh, composers that he thinks uh, have great possibilities, which is a wonderful thing. Sure and then in, in uh, various uh, cities that perhaps they find themselves in, you'll probably find him playing chamber music with music, amateur mu yeah. musicians in the uh, area. Mm -hmm. And Mr. Jove mm -hmm. is a wonderful man. He uh, loves music and musicians, and uh, he knows all the melodies that Miss Anderson sings. Plus, uh, most of the words, no matter if they're French, Italian, Spanish, any language. And he is the wonderful type who is a head nodder oh. for uh -huh. her music, and yeah. uh, he beats out the <laughs> melody or the rhythm on his yeah. uh, knee. Mm -hmm. So it was just uh, really a wonderful experience that I would like to share. Mm -hmm. And of course, we do get to share because uh, the, of the interview. We have it right here, haven't mm -hmm. we? You want to run it? Mm -hmm. All right, Love let's to. hear it. It is a very great honor today to have as our guest Miss Marion Anderson, one of our most respected and revered vocal artists in America. She's been charming audiences since she was six years old. The Virginia Theater has been sold out for weeks for both of your performances, Miss Anderson. And so it's our hope that having you with us today We'll give just a little part of you to our listeners who haven't been able to get the tickets. So we're delighted to have you. Well, thank you very much, and it's a pleasure to be here. I spoke this morning with a friend, and I'm sure with all your concerts, you couldn't possibly remember, but he did want me to ask you. Uh, it seems that in about 1930, you were at West Virginia State College in Charleston. And he remembered hearing you and is looking forward to hearing you again. Now, see, that would have been uh, before your first trip to Europe, would it not? Yes, as a matter of fact, 1930. You know, we're not remembering anything that far back anymore. Uh, I used to laugh very much when I would hear people say, oh, that's not right about time. And then more recently, I remember having seen a, oh, a moving picture actress in one of a picture that had been revived and I had a, an opportunity to see her in life not too long ago and I said oh you know I saw you in such and such a picture meaning it of course to be um, a sort of uh, tribute to her you know mm -hmm. she wasn't pleased at all about it so I'm at the place now too and people begin to remember things so far back well I'd be just as pleased if they remembered something a little closer too you know. Well, uh, may I return anyway, <laughs> with your permission, <laughs> back to uh, those uh, particular years, because that marks, uh, as far as I was able to uh, ascertain, your first trip to Europe. Now, my question is, do you think that the American audiences feel uh, a more awareness, we'll say, of a singer or a musician, anyone in the creative arts, if he or she has the stamp of European approval. As a matter of fact, I think that was more necessary before, and you're quite right about feeling. I was here a number of years ago and remembered with a great deal of pleasure. Uh, it was a time, I think, when the, when the American musician, especially the vocalist, found it imperative to have had some stamp on her or him um, in regard to work that he had done in Europe. Uh, it is not anymore, to my uh, uh, belief, as Im 
as necessary as it was at that particular time. Mm -hmm. I was thinking uh, particularly now present day, uh, Van Cleburne, for example. Don't you think that uh, he was accepted after his uh, approval by uh, foreign nations? Yes, you know, and that brings me to another thing. I wish there were, a, I, I, I so sincerely wish that there were a possibility of giving to many of the young musicians an opportunity to perform and come before the big public that is possible in America. But there is so much talent around that it seems that they do not get an opportunity to show their wares to the best possible advantage. So when there comes an opportunity that, that a Van Cliburn or, a, or someone else may be able to get away, attention is drawn to that particular person. And in this particular case, I understand that Mr. Van Cliburn is a very able, a very fine musician, and a, an excellent representative of the kind of work that he's doing. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, in your European countries, of course, uh, as I told you a few minutes ago, I was so delighted with your book, My Lord, What a Morning. And uh, in it, uh, I got the feeling in the countries that you have been, uh, all the European countries, this is, of course, before your 1957 tour, uh, did you have a feeling of happiness in one country or a uh, group of countries more than any other country? Uh, in a way, yes. Uh, we liked uh, Switzerland particularly, I think, first for its beauty, uh, then for the cleanliness of the place. You could go anywhere and on the streets, it seemed. Uh, you wouldn't... Uh, it, it, it just gave you a wonderful feeling of, of being clean. That we liked. And the people were very friendly. In the other places, among the other countries we visited, for instance, Scandinavia, we were mostly in Stockholm, where we had a general representative who arranged the concerts that we did all over Europe, you see. And uh, having lived in Stockholm for a while, we learned a little bit of Swedish. The name is Anderson, and the phone book is, well, you'd be surprised how many Andersons there are in the phone book. And uh, for some reason, uh, there, there was a sort of... Uh, a friendship among these people and uh, a hominess that made you feel when you're in other parts of Europe you were uh, doing things as fast as possible so you could get back to Sweden. Mm -hmm. I, I had the feeling in reading the book that the Norwegian uh, Scandinavian countries yeah. were very dear to your heart. Mm -hmm. Now then let's come up a little more to date which is more to your liking perhaps but in your visit uh, to the Asian countries of course that would uh, be uh, approximately 12 countries, was it not, yes. in Asia? Mm -hmm. uh, did you, uh, as a goodwill ambassador, uh, have a chance to talk with the people? Or uh, I know you sang to them, but did they come to you and talk with you? No, not particularly. You see, in the very beginning, this was a tour, mm -hmm. as any other concert tours that we do. And then later on, when it was decided that there should be photography, um, a man was sent along, a Jean de Porras is his name, and um, he is the person who, for CBS, uh, decided what places and where we should be photographed. And it was d through him and his anxiety to get something unusual that we met some of the people that we did meet. This had not been arranged just 
otherwise. Otherwise, we'd, done, we would have done the tour. We would have met the people in the American consulates and American embassies, or put it the other way, the American embassies and the consulates, and uh, the people who surround them, and uh, uh, the, the people in the different countries whom they know and would invite to any of their affairs. But this was something a little bit different, because um, Mr. DePores did go out, and he looked for situations, and we were able to speak to a few people whom we might not have been able to speak with otherwise. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is our great desire to go back sometime when we can talk to people. We were not there in any official capacity at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we said before we started uh, with our little talk here, uh, there was no script, uh, there was nothing uh, particularly arranged uh, for us so far as being photographed was concerned and uh, neither New York nor we had any idea what might come out of it when we went. Though, don't you think, uh, even though you may have had no officialdom, we'll say, in the tour, don't you think perhaps that maybe that prepared you a little for your role in the 13th uh, Assembly of the United Nations? Uh, maybe it gave you a little uh, deeper uh, bond with the work that you are doing or did do. Well, of course, now this, I must say, one should not lose sight of the fact that uh, the, the tour was what is called under the auspices of ANTA, which is the State Department. But many other artists had been over for singing or playing, whatever their regular profession had been. Um, so far as the 13th General Assembly to the United Nations is concerned, uh, there's no doubt about it. There are some who were uh, of the opinion that through the film which was taken while we were away, they had the idea that one might have something to say or think or do. And uh, it is our definite belief that it had a great deal to do with uh, the fact that we were asked to, to be an alternate delegate to the 13th General Assembly. Oh, I think that's wonderful. Could I ask you a personal question? Mm -hmm. I know you're a Brooklyn Dodger fan. <laughs> Have you switched uh, or with them uh, in their move to Los Angeles? But most definitely so. <laughs> <laughs> Once a fan, always a fan. And then another small question. Uh, could you, in your hometown, go down the street, go into the grocery store, as an ordinary housewife, or does your uh, fame follow you always? Well, as a matter of fact, I live in a little community called Mill Plain in Connecticut, and um, we go to the Safeway, we go to the Grand Union, we go to uh, First National or any of them, and shop as other women do, and they'll, uh, the people will come over and talk to you, and occasionally you'll be asked to give an autograph, and. Uh, the kids will be sent up with their books if they happen to have them, or they'll uh, get a piece of paper from the girl at the desk, you see, who changes money for you. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's nice uh, that people in your neighborhood are interested to see you when you come along, and uh, uh, one enjoys going out and uh, being a part of the community. Well, then, perhaps uh, you haven't sacrificed your own personal self, we'll say, uh, because you do have a part of normal, everyday living, whereas uh, perhaps a number of people may think that uh, you live in a fishbowl, we'll say, because you're always in the public eye. 
to be perfectly frank, one would say there are times when you would like to um, be able to do things as other people would, that you, that what you do does not necessarily have to be news, no? But it is this way, if you go out, you have to be a little bit uh, conscious of the fact that there might be a person here or there who might know. I like to dash out as I am if I'm in a hurry. Mm -hmm. And that's the time you meet the neighbors that you wouldn't like to meet, you know? <laughs> that happens every day. <laughs> well, I have one last question, Miss Anderson. Mm -hmm. Since you wrote your book, so much has happened to you. Do you have any notion of writing another one to include your latest? <laughs> No, not necessarily so, but we went uh, quite some time ago to a book review club that it was, uh, this meeting was being held by youngsters who read the book, and one little boy said, you know, you shouldn't stop there, you should write a sequel. <laughs> so I was really very, I was really very amused, but uh, we have been really very fortunate in more than one way, and we're very grateful for it. Um, one does not feel that she's a writer at all, but here and there there are little things that happen that you'd like to put them down even if only for your own soul satisfaction for reading later mm -hmm. on. May I thank you so much for being our guest and I hope that everyone enjoys meeting you over the air as we have met together and uh, I'm sure that Wheeling and Wheeling area residents will be simply delighted with your concert. Thank you again. Gene, you had a few moments before and after uh, the interview with Miss Anderson, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. uh, were there any additional comments or uh, observations uh, that you might like to pass along right now? Oh, not particularly. I was very reluctant to leave. Mm -hmm. There were just many uh, questions. For instance, that I, I picked out there uh, when we were listening to it here mm -hmm. uh, the way she said talk. T-A-L-K, mm -hmm. and I asked you immediately if she was not from Philadelphia, and yes. you said so. That yes. makes me very, uh, very, very proud pleased. Very yeah. pleased that you <laughs> recognize that. But she is a Philadelphian. Then. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, the uh, person that uh, you had in mind when you said about the 1930 concert was our own Jimmy Woods, who yes. was in school at the yes. time. Yes, uh-huh. And um, I got quite a, a big uh, kick out of her observation when she met the movie actress in <laughs> life. Yes, wasn't that wonderful? <laughs> it very often happens. Yes, of course it does. Uh, you know, uh, after I left, of course, uh, we left and other people were coming in. Mm -hmm. And when I got home, I realized I had not told her when our broadcast would be. Oh. So I called her back mm -hmm. to tell her, and uh, she was so kind. It w she really appreciated my calling. In addition to which, she uh, said something that delighted me. She said, I was so pleased to meet you. Well, that's nice. Very, very gracious lady. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just perfectly wonderful. Well, we'll be uh, talking some more, too, in a moment, but we must, uh, you know, uh, yes, get a few must. things for the festive board. So here's a message from Ward Baking Company. Oh, good morning. I'm Emily Tip, the Tip Top Bread Lady. I'm making a survey of what folks think of my new Tip Top wrapper. Would you? Oh, I've seen you on TV. Come <laughs> right in. Here, let me take your thing. Well, I'll keep this Tip Top bread right with me, thank you. Now, how do you like our new wrapper? Oh, that big T reminds me of the monograph on my grandmother's silver. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but this T on the wrapper, it's half red and half blue. We call it the split T. Well, imagine that. 
tea for tip and top. Mm -hmm. Exactly. The split tea is the first thing you see on the new Tip Top Red Wrapper. You did notice. Well, thank you. Bye. Grace, it's Sarah. I've just been talking to Emily Tip. No, dear, tea, like in Tip Top. You know, the bread lady on TV. And Grace, she really does wear high-button shoes. You know, Jean, you told me that you had some comments on Miss Anderson's mother, and I think always it's very good to hand a bouquet where possible to the mothers of this world. Well, her mother was a great motivating force in her life, mm -hmm. a very deeply religious woman. Mm -hmm. And you remember last week when we uh, had a World Day of Prayer with yes. Mrs. Carl Gutsky, mm -hmm. I mentioned then about uh, her mother uh, always with prayer in mm -hmm. her life and teaching the children. And uh, her mother never really... Uh, for instance, if Miss Anderson came to her with a problem, mm -hmm. her mother thought that she was the one, not she herself, but Miss Anderson was mm -hmm. the one to solve it with God's help. Mm -hmm. And uh, to me, uh, she pays a tremendous tribute to her mother. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, of course, I didn't have a chance to talk with her about her mother, mm -hmm. but as I understand it, uh, they have a little house in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And uh, her mother uh, could live any place anywhere yes. in any style mm -hmm. but she dearly loves that little house and that's where she lo uh, lives and mm -hmm. uh, enjoys her life and of course you know how proud she must be of her daughter uh, I wonder who it was that uh, first discovered or uh, realized that Miss Anderson had a great talent I think that if she were to have to point a finger to mm -hmm. one person she couldn't do it because uh, she sang uh, so very early, first mm -hmm. in her church yes. and uh, around in her neighborhood and mm -hmm. uh, high schools and so on. And so many people contributed mm -hmm. to her mm -hmm. uh, success later on, of course, in her education. Yes. Uh, collections in her uh, neighborhood. Yeah. And, uh, mm -hmm. Everyone realized that here was a voice. Mm -hmm. And at the time, uh, she, at the early, in the earlier period, she could sing uh, any range. Mm -hmm. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? It certainly is. Of course, there's a lot of uh, self-discipline mm -hmm. that nobody realizes in a career such as hers. Uh, you must be in top physical condition, and you must take care of yourself. And, of course, you must realize that you have a God-given talent. Mm -hmm. And uh, she couldn't go on and on as she is and will continue to do, I'm sure if uh, she wasn't well aware and appreciated this great thing that she's been given. Oh, I'm sure she mm -hmm. does. You can't be with her long uh -huh. without... Gene, this has been most interesting. Uh, just briefly, uh, what time is the concert tonight? 8.30. 8.30. Of mm -hmm. course, if you don't have a ticket, you might as well forget about That's, it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, it's very gratifying, and uh, that just about does it for today, right? Yes. All right. That's Report to the Women for this morning. Now, tomorrow morning at 5 past 10, and each weekday morning at that time, we invite you to join Jean Ham as she takes us just about everywhere there's a note of interest to you all. Till tomorrow, this is Luke Lawson saying, so long, gals.
This podcast was created with Linux, the best computer operating system on the planet. Linux comes packed with lots of software and fights off viruses and malware. There are hundreds of Linux distributions, so it's easy to find the right one for you. It brings old computers back to life and makes new computers fast as lightning. Plus, it's completely free. Find out more. Go to Linux Alive on Facebook. From the K-Rob Collection, this has been Audio Antiques, a program featuring shows from the golden age of American radio. I'm Ken Robinson, urging you to subscribe to this podcast and to share it with anyone who loves classic broadcasts. Our music is by H Beats. That's H Beats with a Z. Thanks so much for listening.